tonight is uh, January 27th. It is uh, 2016. Our message this evening is called Young Men. Curiously, how many people are in the room? Raise your hands if you are between the ages of 25 and 50. That's extraordinary. Okay. Uh, turn with me to the 8th chapter of Numbers. Say there when you were there. In Numbers 8, and uh, <laughs> how many charismatics does it take to rebuke the darkness? You know? In Numbers 8, in verse 18, I'd like to read you a verse. And I have taken the Levites in the place of all the firstborn sons in Israel. Who did the Levites serve in the place of? This literally means that if you met a Levite in ancient Israel, he was a substitute for your firstborn brother. So is anybody in the room a firstborn? You would have had to go work at the temple had there not been Levites. But because you did not have to go to the temple, a Levite went in your place. This means when your mother or father saw that Levite, he was supposed to relate to them in a familial fashion. It means that your little sister to the Levite would be like a little sister. Your mother to the Levite would be like a mother. The inherent relationship between the priest and the congregation was one of family which is why it is so disgusting when pastors abuse their sheep. It's as disgusting as a man that would abuse his own family. Y'all have seen electrical problems before. Don't let it bother you. It would be all right. The, the one thing that you need to be able to do is stand in a dark world and focus on a message that is all light. Amen? Amen. Do, do I have your attention? Yes. Do I have all of your attention? Yes. Okay. So pick up with me then in the 23rd verse. The Lord said to Moses... This applies to the Levites. Men 25 years old or more shall come to take part in the work. Say, take part in the work. Take part in the work. At the tent of meeting. But at the age of 50, they must retire from their regular service and work no longer. They may assist their brothers in performing their duties at the tent of meeting, but they themselves must not do the work. This then is how you are to assign the responsibilities of the Levites. The reason that I'm reading this to you today is it is my observation in watching Christianity for the last 23 years that in America what we do is we raise up one strong lion and he eats all competitors, he stands at the top of the heap until one day he has had a fall and someone replaces him. This more resembles the animal kingdom than God's kingdom. The biblical way, the right way, is that there would be three categories or classifications of people at all times. Zero to 25, 25 to 50, and 50 to the end of life. Anybody in here older than 75 tonight? Amen. Some of our... Most experienced saints come on Sunday mornings, but this meeting's a little late for them. For argument's sake, 
I'm simply going to divide this into even numbers. I recognize that some folks live longer than 75, praise God, but an average lifespan is somewhere around 75 years. From 0 to 25, a young Levite would be experiencing all kind of things. What would happen at about the age 13? Anybody remember? This would be a bar mitzvah. He becomes a son, bar means son, of the command. This means he can read the word for himself. It means he learns that he has a responsibility to the word. Does anybody remember from the first chapter of Numbers or many other places in the Bible about how old you were when you were military age? It's 20 years old. So 0 to 25, you would learn to become a son of the command. You would learn to uh, uh, be military. But you know what you could not do? You could not go forward and represent the Lord. From 0 to 25, you were learning. It was your job to benefit from those who went before you. From 0 to 25... You did not have the awesome responsibility of leadership. Your job was to learn what it was to be under authority and to excel under authority. From 25 to 50, the hardest work that could be done was yours. If the sanctuary had to be moved because the cloud moved during the day or the pillar of fire at night, If you woke up and God's presence had moved on, those who were 25 to 50 did it all. While those who were 0 to 25 watched and learned what to do when their time came. Do you have somebody ahead of you in your life that you're watching to see, how should I best handle this? When when I saw they got to their third kid, they made changes to things. When I saw... Uh, they sold the two-door sports car and went to the minivan. I learned. Maybe I just skipped the whole sports car stage, right? Is there somebody ahead of you in your life that you're benefiting from watching what they do? Because the heart of the gospel says things like, follow me as I follow Christ. We are supposed to benefit from watching those who are in authority before us. When you reach the age of 50, 50 was a celebrated age. By the way, There are some other steps in here. At 25, you could do the hardest work, but it was really at about 30 that you were considered completely competent. The reason that I say that is if you were new, if it was your first day on the job, you had seen it done many times, but you hadn't done it yourself. You had only seen it done. After you had demonstrated it for about five years... You were in charge of everything that your fathers before you had ever been in charge of. 30 was the age of absolute maturity in the Bible. When you think on this subject, this takes us to 50 to 75. We're going to divide these here in a minute into terms. 50 to 75, when the Bible says retire, I want you to understand that the Bible's description of retirement is nothing like our description of retirement. In what way did Moses retire? In in what way did Abraham retire? Did they ever go sit and drink Mai Tais on a, a South American beach? Retire did not mean that you did nothing. Retired meant that the hardest jobs, 
The jobs that were best suited for 25 to 50, you had now done it for the bulk of your life, better than half of your life, and you knew some things that were worth contributing or supervising to the others. It meant that you could look at a young man and say, hey, I did what you're about to do for 25 years every day. You might want to interlock your fingers. You might want to put one foot in front of it. You might want to widen your stance. To which the young men should say, thank you. This meant that at every stage of life, you were either preparing, working, or benefiting others by your previous work in preparation. Nobody went to a retirement home. Nobody sat at home, played Xbox, and watched pornography all day. Everybody had a purpose and a place in society. And this was how the work of God got done. You might say that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You might say that he's the God of the generations, the one who saved you, is saving you, and will yet save you. You might say that our king is concerned about you at every stage of development. Turn with me to 1 John. In 1 John, the second chapter, we're going to read something that seems fairly complex, and yet it'll become simple. We're going to put it in a chart format. I recognize that it's dark in this room. But Christians are to be used to being in a dark room and being the only thing that shines light. Can you do it? Can you do it in the back? In 1 John, the second chapter, start with me on the 12th verse. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Who did he write to in this verse? What a crazy thing. And what do we know about children? We know in this verse that their sins have been forgiven. Let's go to the 13th verse. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. The defining characteristic of a father is the length and breadth of time that he has known the Lord. In knowing the Lord, he's done many hard things for the Lord. He stepped out in faith many times. He spent the better part of his life trusting the Lord. What a father is said to have done is known him from the beginning. Not just that God was from the beginning, but the father has known him since the beginning. It's both. Look then at the second half of the verse. I write to you, fathers... Because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. What is said of young men? First thing that describes a young man is that he's supposed to overcome the evil one. From zero to 25, you are a baby in Christ. In Christ... You are a baby no matter what your age is if all you know is that your sins are forgiven. 
Whole denominations spend all of their time saying, I don't care about anything, even if I'm just a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. All I know is that I stand forgiven. Well, congratulations, you made it out of utero. We're not supposed to stay immature. We're supposed to grow on to maturity. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. Back to the children. Known the Father. Essentially, no change. Sins are forgiven and they know the Father. Verse 14. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. Do you see how 13a is exactly the same as 14a? Fathers have known him from the beginning. It's their one defining characteristic. Look at the second half of 14. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. Not only have you overcome the evil one, but you're strong. I'm writing them in the order they're given. And the word of God lives in you. Word lives in. And what's the last one say? And you have overcome the evil one. I'm not going to get into Hebrew parallelism here. But can I tell you that if you begin and end with the statement, overcome the evil one, the defining characteristic of a young man is that he is supposed to overcome the evil one. What do you expect of a 25-year-old man today? Expect that he might have gone to college, might still live at home with his parents. What do you expect of a 25? Have you noticed that the expectations from the World War I and World War II generation to Vietnam to now have continually gone down? My grandfather built a house at 15 years old. I met my wife at 15 years old, married her at 18, had a baby at 22, was ordained into ministry in 1997. But today, you can be 35 years old, live at home, and nobody thinks anything about it. Pastor's not here to throw books at you. That's not what I'm doing. I'm saying that the Bible sets standards for a reason. These are things that you're supposed to strive for, things that you're looking for. Now, let me ask you, if you had to have something written about you, which category would you like to apply to you? Would you like to be known simply as somebody who knows the Father and sins are forgiven? Would you like to be known simply as somebody who's known him a long time? Or would you rather be said, hey, that Matthew Pirro overcomes the evil one. He is strong. The word of God lives in him. Did I tell you he overcomes the evil one? Which category would you like said about you? Well, it turns out that the category that is the hardest work also has the highest rewards. There is one time period in your life when you will get things done like no other. Zero to 25, you might still be dreaming about what you'll become. But 25 to 50, you are figuring it out and you have to do the work of the kingdom. And if you don't do it, it might not get done. I stand before you today, I just turned 41 years old. I'm closer to being a father in the faith than I am a child. That means I have nine years left to do something. What would it look like to be a successful father? Well, I better raise up lots of young men. 
Otherwise, when the Bible tells me it would be a shame for me to carry the load, there'll be nobody else to carry it, and I'll have to. How many ministries do you know that never make it to a second generation because there is no one coming behind them? You want to know why life-changing ministries is all up in your business, all up in your life? We want it to go beyond this generation. We believe that there is a holy baton being passed, a royal deposit being given. I think the highest honor in life is to be given the hardest work in the kingdom. In fact, the first bumper sticker we ever made was James 2.18. I will show you my faith by what I do. If you want to be strong, the word of God must live in you. I want to share with you something from this time period, if you will. Now, I'm going to put a few of these on the screen. It'll probably stress Susan slightly, but she's extraordinary, and so I know she can handle it. She is in this middle category. The hard work belongs to her. 2 Kings 14.2. And Jeroboam said to his wife, go disguise yourself. No, not right. That's 1 Kings. I need 2 Kings 14.2. He was 25 years old when he became king and reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. This is King Amaziah. He's 25 when he becomes king. Go to 2 Kings 15, 33. We're just advancing. If you're at that place in your Bible, you can turn just a page or two. He was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. His mother's name was Jerusha, daughter of Zadok. That was King Jotham. How about six, uh, 2 Kings 18.2? Going forward just a few chapters. And he was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. This was the mighty king Hezekiah. How about 2 Kings 23, verse 36? Jehoiakim was 25 years old. Are you seeing a, uh, a pattern here yet? Now, you might think of a few exceptions in the Bible. How old was Josiah when he became king? Where are the Molochs? Eight years old. Josiah was eight years old. Go to 2 Kings 22 in verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jediah, daughter of Adiah. He was from Bozkoth. Keep going. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or the left. In the 18th year of his reign, in the what year of his reign? If he's eight years old, we complete 17 years of reigning. Eight and 17, he's 25 years old and now he is in the middle of his 18th year. At 25 years old is when he found the book of the law and he went to work renovating the temple. We can do this all day long. In the Bible, it is expected that at 13, you are competent to read the word. You're competent to begin to take responsibility for it. By 20, that you would fight and die for your country under the direction of other people. By 25, the hardest work available to any Levite ought to be yours. By 50, you have been 
in the position of leading and working with other men to where there ought to be a steady stream of others behind you asking you, what would be the best way to do this? Because I watched how you walked this out and it was amazing. I want my life to look like yours. Now, follow me through this. The first third of your life, the purpose would be to watch so that you could imitate. The middle third of your life would be to live in a way that produced the best fruit that there could possibly be. In the last third of your life, you would be concerned about all of those who were coming up behind you. No part of your life would be purposeless, visionless. No part of your life would be defined by the kind of silly achievements that are written on Facebook every day. You're a Candy Crush champion. Good for you. Does your life have eternal value? Could it be said of you that you're overcoming the evil one, that you are strong, that the word lives in you? I love to preach and teach. It is my heart's desire. The thing that stirs my soul the most is firing up young men, people 25 to 50. Some have said that I resemble to them something of a military order. I don't know whether any of those things are true, but I know this. My entire Christian walk, I have been surrounded by strong young men, and I have had fathers to look at to ask, am I doing this right? Am I doing okay? Is this how you would have done it? And it has benefited me every step of the way. You know what we have absolutely no patience for? The one who believes they're a man, but the word does not live in them. They do not overcome the evil one, and they don't demonstrate themselves strong spiritually because anytime the wind changes, they can be led by their wives. They can be led by their fears. They can be led by anything except God's spirit. And you know what? They're usually the one with the biggest biceps, the biggest bulging chest, and the loudest mouth. The measure of a man is his submission to Yahweh God. You want to know what is holy, what is genuinely masculine? What is genuinely masculine and holy is when you hear the word of God and you obey it. Church, 25 to 50 determines the vision. It determines everything. Could you read with me Proverbs 20 and verse 29? The glory of young men is their strength. Gray hair, the splendor of the old. This division occurs somewhere around 50. For those that have hair left, Daniel, at 50, it's usually turning gray. At 50, you're, you see a 50-year-old man that gets out of his car and wants to fight all of the time, and what do you think? How sad, Right? And you're probably pretty happy because you won't lose this one. You see a 25-year-old that wants to instruct everyone else how to do things. It's also sad. I was in Chicago here recently and a story was related to me of a 23-year-old that walked up to an evangelist that had been doing his work for more than 50 years. And the 23-year-old says, hey, I have a manuscript I'd like you to to read because I'm going to publish a book. And the great German evangelist looked right at him and said, you haven't done anything worthy of writing about yet. Come see me in 50 years. Cruel, I know. 
We're a society that values what people boast about. The Hebrews were a society that boasted about what people did. I want to show you this in the Word in a way that I think will be freeing for you. Look at John 8, 57. Say there when you were there. What was the great decry against Jesus? What were they picking on Jesus about? You know, most Bible scholars say Jesus was between the age of 30 and 33 during his earthly ministry. Now, I've often looked older than I was, and a couple times in my life people have thought my friends were my children. But I bet Jesus was a little better looking than me. Why did they say you're not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you've seen Abraham? Why didn't they say you're not even 40? Why didn't they say you're not 45? These older, wiser men who are supposed to be leading in supervision, they don't like the way he's doing things. Did that make him wrong? Not at all. Jesus Christ was doing the hardest work that could possibly be done, and those that were older than him that thought of themselves as very wise thought he was stupid because he wasn't yet 50. This is a generational flaw. It's a problem. To have gray hair doesn't make you wise. It makes you older than 50. To have led a life, though, where you knew your sins were forgiven, you knew the Father, and because of that love, you became obedient to the commands. You worked in the military. You watched those who were older than you. And by 25, you were doing the hardest things that could be done in the faith so that it said you're strong. The Word lives in you. You've overcome the evil one twice. And now you've reached the age of 50. Well, you might have something to say then. Church, most of your hands went up. 90-something percent in this room are between 25 and 50. When you're an old person looking back on your life, will you have regret that there's nothing worth imitating? Or... Well, all of those experiences that were so hard fought that you walked out somewhat agonizingly benefit the generations that are following after you and put them ahead of you faster. See, to advance the kingdom, it is necessary that one generation tell the next generation of the mighty deeds of the Lord that they might put their trust in Him. This can be, it needs to be an unbroken chain. Have you found your place in the chain? In Joshua 6, 23, we don't have to go there. I'm going to rattle these off so that I can get to a text I do want to spend time in. In Joshua 6, 23, spies go into the land. The spies are called young men. Do you know why? Because they were strong. The word lived in them. They were used to overcoming the evil one. We did not put our senior citizens out on the battle line, nor did we put our babies. 25 to 50, you were supposed to contend and win. Not just physically, spiritually. If we're 50 and we have children that are not yet stronger than us, we're failing. If you are 30 and you still lean on your parents as more spiritually sound, strong, able to contend with the enemy than you, then you are failing. This is how God set this up. 
In one case, we do a great job of raising children, but they stay children forever. In another case, we do a great job of honoring our parents, but we do not honor them in a way that relieves them of having to care for us because we never take autonomy for ourselves. Church, if every man carried his own load, if you took seriously your responsibility, if what you were sharing at 30 with your father who was 55 was, Dad, I remember when you faced this giant and because of what you told me, I cut off his head and here it is. Then Dad could rejoice in your victory instead of mourn with regret over where you stand today. Oh, it's time for the young men in this church to rise up. You cannot sit back and watch and say, well, there are some who will do it. I have nine years left. How many years do you have ahead of you? Will I be able to know in nine short years that the generation coming behind me will go further, will, will kick the devil harder, will chase his influence out of every corner of the globe the way that we are doing it? Or will you be satisfied to have sit back and known men who did. It's an interesting thing how this works. The spies went into the land because they were the young men. In 1 Samuel 25, 8, David's soldiers show up. This is the great interaction between David and Abigail and Nabal. How many of you have been through marriage counseling in this church? Then you know what I'm speaking about. Do you know what David's men are called? Young men. They were 25 to 50. They were spiritually rock hard. They were 25 to 50. The word of God lived in them. They were 25 to 50. They could face the Philistines and win. Do you think, do you think that because you're 26 that you're not supposed to have it figured out yet? Is that the lie that's been fed to you? Do you think that until you're, oh, I don't know, 40 or 50, you won't know anything? Get in your Bible. Take responsibility for your life. Stand up and do it. You know what's a shame? I've had not nearly enough fathers in my life. There's a few here, and I love them. They, I, I honor them. I honor what they've done. The times they taught me to use power tools. The time they taught me to season my words with salt. The time they've talked to me about how to discipline my children or not discipline my children. But the truth is there should have been an army of fathers ahead of me. You know, what happens with this congregation, what happens with the kingdom of God will entirely be up to you and how seriously you take the word. Did you notice today two young men? One of them pretty and the other ugly. One prophesied in other tongues and the other ran over after he heard the interpretation with the scripture that says this agrees with the word. Now, why is it the 14-year-olds are doing that? Where are the 30-year-olds? Where are the 25-year-olds? Do you stand back when you know what prophecy needs to come forward? Because if you wait long enough, Mr. Charlie will give it. If you wait long enough, Mr. Boz will give the interpretation. Why do you let them shoulder a load that you were meant to carry? This is our hour. This is our time. A couple of the young men that need to hear this in the worst way couldn't put on their big boy pants and even get to church tonight. But with a giant dip in their mouth and cowboy boots on, they'll tell us they're men. 
You know what makes you a man? When you do what God says, even when it hurts. Those who keep their oath, even when it hurts. In Amos 8, let's read this one. This is Amos 8, 11 through 13. If you manage to upset the Lord, Amos was written in about 740 A.D. He's a contemporary of Isaiah. Since the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing of the words of the Lord. Can you say that it would be terrible to never hear the word of the Lord again? A famine of hearing God's word. This would mean you'd be condemned to your intellect. This would mean you'd be condemned to your reason. This would mean that you'd be condemned to trusting in your own arm. Wait, many of you live that way right now. To be able to hear God's voice, to read His word, makes you spiritually strong. It gives the chance not for you to just hear the word, but for the word to live in you. And a man who has heard from the heavens is not easily dissuaded from a battle. But a man simply convinced to say, "Uh uh-huh, at a certain place in a doctrinal statement, he probably never showed up on the battlefield to start with. Men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from the north to the east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. In that day, the lovely young women and the strong men will faint because of thirst. One of the curses on a nation would be that their young men and their young women, 25 to 50, would be directionless. I don't know. They might just be pleasure-seeking. They may think that they were put on the earth to party. They may think that they were put on the earth for endless education, but their level of education would outpace their level of obedience to anything. Perhaps they were professional students. I don't know, but they never did much. This was a curse spoken over the people of God. In Lamentations, go to Lamentations, the first chapter. In the first chapter and 15th verse, look at what it says. The Lord has rejected all the warriors in my midst. He has summoned an army against me to crush my young men. This is Jeremiah crying over the fate of the 25 to 50-year-olds. Why is he crying over them? They did not have a vision from the Lord. They did not have a purpose in the Lord. The... uh, Lamentations 2.14, put that one on the screen. Listen to how it says it this way. The visions of your prophets were false and worthless. They did not expose your sin to ward off captivity. The oracles they gave you were false and misleading. The young men and young women went astray because all they were ever told was that they were wonderful. They were never pushed to achieve anything. And so foreign armies came and took them over all the time while prophets were saying, it's okay, you're doing just fine. Don't let anyone keep your self-esteem up. What if, what if God's plan on the planet rested upon you? You know, it's hard to get past just before reading the Great Commission in Matthew 28. I mean, just verses before it. Some, while they were worshiping him, some believed and some doubted. And he left the fate of the world to those 11 men. Are you convinced that you're not ready 
Are you convinced that you can't because some sin has been hounding you? Pick up your sword and go to war. You have no idea the affirmation of your father that will fall on you when you set out to do his will. Half of the identity crisis in the body of Christ is simply because we've never really tried or been expected to achieve anything. And I love you, mama and daddy, but I'm just going to tell you very plainly, half the time, moms and dads are the biggest obstacles to their own children because of the excuses you make for them. The Bible makes no excuses for us. 25 to 50, you are expected to do the work. Say, do the work. What if every time you came to something hard, you stuck out your chest, spiritually speaking, and went, I was meant for this. Instead of feeling punished, every time your body hurt because you helped a brother move, but you didn't skip your next activity because God had ordained it, what if you smiled to yourself and said, I only have so many years when I'm meant for this. There'll be a day it's withheld from me because the job falls to someone else. What if it was a pleasure to do the hardest thing? What if you have the heart of David that said to Aruna, I will not offer my Lord something that costs me nothing. What if every hard thing was a testament to how much you love the Lord? Look, today I started getting birthday well wishes, right? I'm so thankful for that. I I really appreciate that people love me. Uh, and, and I really do love people. I, I've spent my whole life sharing my life with people. There's not a night you'll stop by my house and there is, it's not full of people unless I'm at somebody else's house like the Vincents sharing with them, right? But the reason that those relationships exist in every case is because from the time that I entered the young man category till I stand here today, It has been my greatest joy to do whatever the hardest task was. If you could imitate Jesus, if you could imitate your leaders as we imitate Jesus, we will change this city. We will change the globe. Do you know how I know that? Jesus started with 11 who would imitate him. And the gospel made it as far as you. What responsibility do you have to the society around you? What Are you still standing on the shoulders of the generation that's gone before you or do you have it in your heart to produce something? And has it made it from your heart to your feet so that others can see it? Go with me to Zechariah 9. We're going to read 16 through 17. <laughs> so while we were in Chicago, it was 11 below. My beard froze. It was ridiculous. I don't know how people settled that place. There was no such thing as an easy meeting there. There was no night where I got more than three hours and 15 minutes sleep. I had the flu while I was there. The guy sitting next to me on the plane felt himself persecuted for just sitting next to me. But you know what I can say when I left Chicago? Every difficult thing, every single one that was put before us, we did and God gave us the strength to do When we got to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, computer stolen out of our car. A couple minutes before a meeting, for some unknown reason, the truck won't start. Lay hands on it and pray in faith, it won't start. So we laid wrenches on it and it wouldn't start. So we went, got coffee, regathered our strength, prayed, and it started. And we showed up at the meeting. 
that we didn't have to go to to do the difficult thing that nobody wanted to do. But people are right with God because of it. Amen. Church, most, <laughs> if it was easy, then others would do it. Now, those of you that love me enough to have spent some close time with me, you know that's not how I would normally finish that sentence. But I'm going to be good today because my spiritual fathers have taught me better than that. Amen, said them. <laughs> Zechariah 9, verse 16. The Lord their God will save them on that day as the flock of his people. They will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. How attractive and beautiful will they be. Grain will make the young men thrive. Say, young men thrive. And the new wine, the young women. I want you to understand that God's desire for the church is that the 25 to 50 group be the engine that advances the gospel all over the globe. When you see a pastor who's 80 and there's no one under him, that's a shame. It's a shame. If Matthew is leading worship at 75 years old, it will be because we failed. Doesn't mean that Matt can't lead worship at 75. But if he has to do it at 75, then we failed. So what you're seeing this year is you are seeing teachers come up in our place. You are seeing new folks all over the worship team. You are seeing in every area we are giving you the opportunity and encouraging you to step up. Do you know why? Because the young men do the work. That's why. Because the glory of God is supposed to rest on your shoulders. Because when a nation was completely defeated, the way that you showed they were defeated is the young men were humiliated. You can take a Bible concordance and look at young men. 80% of all of the young men's scriptures are nations that were defeated and you knew they were completely defeated because 25 to 50, they were not in battle. So this is a battle cry for you. This is a man, woman, strap a sword to your side and get to work. If you're in here and you are over 50, this is an admonition to us. I, I say that I will be there soon. If we don't leave a void, they will not fill it. It is our job to look at a man like Frank and say, you can do it. What you just did was 10% wrong and 90% right. Circumcise your heart and try again. That is our job. And if we don't do it, then it won't get done. How many churches are one generation? Yeah, and the ones that are many generations are just camping on the work of an ancestor who was a great man of God 200 years ago. But you don't see the qualities in John Wesley's life in the United Methodist Church today. Because somewhere along the way, they didn't raise up their successors. Let's do this then. Let's take uh, Joel 2.28. Talk about that for just a second. Are you all bored with me? If you are, it, it would not change the message. But I might walk around more, grab you by the shoulders, try to wake you up. Since I have no homiletic skills, I just substitute with, with physical contact, right? And Joel 2.28, and afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Somebody say all people. all people. Not you people, all people. Your sons and daughters will. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see. This group is supposed to be the visionary group. 
The older men could dream about the way things were and could be again, but the young men would have to have vision about how to get there. The young men would have to be driven with purpose. They would have to, in their heart, have interacted with the Word and say, you know what? I lost to the devil last time, but I packed more of his word in my heart. I've got the counsel of the elders with me, and I can't wait to face it again. 25 to 50 is where it gets done. This is the giant killing stage. You want to plant a church? It's going to happen between 25 and 50. You want to do missions? Amen. Squeeze it in there, Vincent. You're going to do it between 25 and 50. Say, but what about Moses? What about Caleb? Those jokers was old, man. That was the miracle. The norm was 25 to 50. The miracle was that because there was nobody else to do it, God could take even them and do it. But it shouldn't have to. I'm going to tell you the truth. Elder Steve, Elder Charlie, Baj, they can do it. But they shouldn't have to. They should be able to cross their arms with joy, smile, and say, Mario, that's a good job. Their crown should be that they can impart wisdom to you. Your crown should be that you've become spiritually strong. Can you tell that we don't like the victim spirit? There's not one but two signs in my office that say no whining. And I mean it. Nobody has ever benefited by talking about how tough things are. Don't give the devil the satisfaction. Look him in the eye, square off with him and say, I just found a verse for you. Watch this. I'm going to put this verse on that side of your face and there's not a thing you can do about it. And if you lose, the benefit of being a young man is there's another day to fight. The young man is the one that can be visionary because he's got time to take all of the risk. Are you playing it safe or are you taking a risk for the Lord? Don't sit back and wait. It might not get done if you do. I'd like to talk to you about these categories. You can also take them and recognize that aside from the years or annual maturing... There would be a spiritual maturing that could be seen in other ways. In the writings of John, we see three kinds of children. I'm going to show you those now. And to some extent, this kind of children is the Hebrew concept of bar, meaning you are imitating someone. So don't think children as young. Think children as in... Uh, so-and-so's the father of jazz music, and in that sense, I am his child because I also like jazz music, right? So children. The first group would be children of God. This is the first thing that you become in the faith. So a verse like John 1 and 12, as many as believed on him, he gave the right to become children of God. Incidentally, this first group that is children of God corresponds to the 0 to 25 age or I don't know much more than my sins are forgiven. I don't know much more than I knew the Father. You can find that concept in 1 John 3, 1 through 2. Listen to it here. 
How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But when we appear, He appears, we shall be like Him. You become a child of God when you awaken to His love for you and you begin to have a love for Him. But you don't want to simply stay a child of God. I'm going to put first, or John 1 and 12 there as an example. You also become children of the church. You may never have heard this before, but it's important to know in John's writings, it's replete. I want to read you a couple verses. In 2 John, look at verse 4. It has given me great joy to find some, somebody say, some of your children walking in the truth. He is speaking to a church body saying some of your children, not God's children, yours, are walking in the truth. Look at it in verse 13. In verse 13, he says it, the children of your chosen sister send you greetings. Chosen sister is a euphemism for another church. And they send you greetings. At some point, you have imitated the Lord and you have become a child in Him. But then you imitate the body that is around you and the way that they walk with the Lord. And that's not wrong. Every church is supposed to have a vision and certain characteristics. When I say one life, one family, and one nation, you should personally identify with that. It means that because the Lord has changed your life, You want your entire family to be benefited by it. It means that that family on fire for God focuses on the nations and we are going to spread the gospel in an outward fashion in every direction. You move from being a child of God, hey, I know I'm forgiven, to a child of your church in the sense that your family is sharing in that larger community vision and you want to carry it out. So I say to you young men, 25 to 50, Do you know what your role is in the body of believers? See, if you don't know who you are, you're not going to know how to lead your family. And if you don't have a family vision, how could you know how you will fit into your congregation's vision? My people perish for a lack of vision or knowledge. It might be time to seek God, quit seeing yourself as a victim and start saying, Lord... I know you put me here. You prepared work in advance for me to do. I'm not going to sit back and wait for Pastor Wade to administrate out some task that I can call my own. I have a vision for my life. So that when you come home and you see your wife and she's like, honey, it's been a tough day. You can say, it's okay, honey, because we're called. We're called and we're going to get it done. Today, all I accomplished all day, the only thing I got done was witnessing to one person. But baby, what's our vision? To advance the kingdom on the planet. Oh, then we're a success. Come join with me. Let's begin to praise God instead of whine and moan. And then maybe our sick children will come out of their bedrooms and say, Mom, Dad, what's going on out here? And then you can see the healing power of God. See, this begins with a man. Ladies, I know so much of our preaching and teaching is about things that are masculine, but ask yourself something. What has the metrosexual community done for you lately? What has the effeminate gospel done for you lately? You find a man who knows what it is to obey God, and you will find security in him because he'll be a good leader for your home.
He will know that he needs you. And he won't be scared to ask for your help because obeying the Lord is everything. This gender-neutral gospel that is floating around, it's destroying whole households. And it is because the kingdom of God rests on the young men's shoulders. And if they don't know how to be men, if you can make it to 67 years old and not sure which parts belong on the Mr. Potato Man doll, you're in trouble. And that's where we are as a society. It is time and leadership begins in the home. What were you called to do? What vision did your wife join when y'all got married so that you together have now one vision, two halves of one calling? When your children were born, what vision were they born into? When you walked into the church, what was your family vision that you now know he connected you to this body because together you'll get it done? It rests on the shoulders of the young men. The third area is children of your mentors. How about 1 Corinthians 4? Look at verse 14 and 17. When I say children of your mentors, I am not writing this to you uh, to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. This is not a child of a church. This is Paul writing to people in the church that had so imitated them, him, he considered them children. In verse 17, he says, For this reason I am sending to you Timothy, my who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. I'm going to tell you the truth. We don't just raise up children of God. We watch those children of God become children of life-changing ministries. We don't just stop there. Those that are called to five-fold ministry in this church will have examples that they can follow. And those characteristics will be so strong and so self-evident that anywhere they go in the world, they will be able to do what their spiritual fathers did better than their spiritual fathers did it. Do you know why? That's our calling. It's our calling. I'm happy to take 14 and 18 and 22 and 26-year-olds and throw them into a room any day in any church anywhere in the world because I know they've been prepared. Church, if you cannot get prepared here, I'm going to suggest to you that you can't get prepared anywhere. But I'm not preaching this message to you because you can't get prepared here. I'm teaching this message to you because you must be prepared here. The kingdom work depends on it. We are far from the only church, but we might be the only church you were called to. One of the great joys is that we're building an association of churches. We see that God has the right to move people from body to body, and we're excited about that in both directions. But the truth is you're only called to one place at one time. Are you fully here while you're here? Children of mentors shows up so many places in the Bible, I'm going to let it loose for a little while. Let me do this. I want to grab another category and then show you how to become strong. Is that okay? I said in the writings of John, and I tell you, you can find it everywhere in the writings of John, but I love it about John himself. Go to John 13, 23. 
I love how John writes this. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. And of course, who is that disciple? John. You can read that in John 19, 26, John 20 and verse 2, John 21 and verse 7, John 21 and 20. He calls himself the one whom Jesus loved. You know what you need to know when you're 0 to 25? You're going to learn the commands. You're going to learn what the Word says. You're preparing to be military age. Your sins have been forgiven. You know the Father. You've become a child of God and you are greatly loved. That is one level of Christianity. It's where you start. But that starting line is not the finish line. We're going to progress to a whole other area. John began his life as the one whom Jesus loved. But in the most mature times in his life, he referred to himself in places like Revelation 1 and verse 1. Let's look at that. The most common title that John applies to himself is servant or slave. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. You start off a child, but as you grow in your love for the Lord and the Lord's love for you, you graduate to servant or slave. You know why? Because 25 to 50, you do the hardest work. You overcome the evil one. The word lives in you. You are strong. You overcome the evil one. You now know how to function as a child of God in your church, carrying out its vision. You are the Lord's servant or slave. This is what we're shooting for. We're shooting for that age of awakening where you're now competent. You're excited. You can't wait to do what God's called you to do. It serves His kingdom. It serves your family vision. It serves the vision of the church which benefits everyone else because you were born to do the work. In fact, during this age, you don't think you have any rights. During this age, you don't think you're entitled to anything. You count yourself a slave or servant to the Lord. He says that I do it. That's the end of it. Oh, man. That is so freeing. It sounds like bondage. It's a bondage to be a slave to a sin. It's freeing to be a slave to the Lord. He only tells me to do the very best thing. Oh, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it, it seems like I can't. But that's when I find out how great he is in the times that I'm very small. You know, John didn't finish his life as a servant or slave. In 2 John, the first verse, first word, the elder. In 3 John, the first verse, first word, the elder. You don't finish the race a servant or a slave. You finish the race in a place of fatherhood where you can look and say, you know what, you guys that are overcoming the evil one, you guys that are strong, that the word lives in, you are doing a good job. For many years, I watched and waited my turn, and then I ran my race. I got my vision done, and you are the culmination of my vision. That is what the elder says. And he says, now is your turn, son. Go set the world on fire for the gospel. You're doing a good job. Oh, oh, don't go that direction. I got burned there. Go that way. I know it looks harder, but it's worthwhile. That is the role of an elder. You progress from one who is simply loved to one who is a slave or a servant. 
to an elder that is capable of encouraging others. This is a life that is never focused on you. When you're young, you're looking at those you admire, a child. When you're a young man, you're looking on those that you can be of service to. When you're an older man, you're looking for those that you can encourage. But you know what you're never doing? Sitting in your own self-pity. Come on, somebody say that's good. I want to finish with you in a couple unusual places. Do you have the heart to go through three scriptures? What if they're chapters upon chapter? Most of you are 25 to 50. This is, this is the hard time. I want to put 1 Timothy 5 too to reinforce something before I go further. The reason I talk to you the way that I do is because to me you're family. In fact, I'm standing here right now during a time that most of you would say church is now optional. I'm going to go spend time somewhere else. There is a tragedy happening in my family right now. But you know where my best service to the kingdom of God is? Right here, which Amen. is why I'm here. Amen. The text that I got was at 6.59. You know, sometimes the devil can be so obvious in his timing that it's laughable. If you get the impression that he wants you to cry, maybe you should laugh. And if you get the impression he wants you to laugh, maybe you should shed a tear of repentance. In fact, you can pretty well lean into whatever he tells you to do and do the opposite. It's the only time that it's really fun to rebel. I have a rebellious heart, but I have learned to rebel against this world system and obey my father. Paul tells Timothy that the older women are mothers in 1 Timothy 5.2, and the younger women are sisters, that he treats them that way with absolute purity. I'll go to the uh, first verse. Let me read from 1 down to 3. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. That older man's put there to encourage you, so don't you discourage him. If you have to rebuke him, do it in the kind of way that you would talk to your father because your father is the one who helped you get where you're at, right? This is, this is a, a father in the faith telling a son in the faith how to treat others in the church just like his own family. And you know what? Nobody here is related. Isn't that interesting? Treat younger men as, why would they do that? Why older women as mothers? Why younger women as sisters with absolute purity? Look, if, uh, if you're at your buddy's house and you're lost and a girl's jogging down the road and he catcalls at the girl, uh, you might laugh. If it's your sister, is it funny? Isn't that interesting? What made the difference? Well, how you see her made the difference. You want to know why there's impurity in the church? Because those shepherds don't see you as family. Or, or they have an incestuous heart, one or the other. But I would prefer to just say they don't see you as family. Let's not go the whole way in indicting them. See, when you care about people just like, you know, the reason that Matthew's here or Wade's here or Eric's here or the elders are here is because they're a substitute for my firstborn older brother or my firstborn son that didn't have to go. Well, that changes everything, doesn't it? You know, you're going to hear this from your lost family a lot, you know. Uh, we think you're closer to those people than you are us. Well, 
I'll let you choose how you want to answer that. But the Bible says that we are family. And that's how we're supposed to relate to each other. Let's do this. Go with me to Titus. And after Titus, we're going to close in Leviticus. There, now you know my game plan. That'll help you endure. Say there when you're in Titus. I'll tell you where in Titus when I find it. Titus 2. Paul speaking to Titus, who also he considered a son. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men. Is it fair to say older men are fathers? Older men to be temperate. What is temperate? Yeah, you're not volatile. You're not all over the place. You know why? You've known him from the beginning. Where are we at? You've known him from the beginning. You... You have had mentors and you are now a mentor. You are an elder. Not the, the, the fathers are supposed to be temperate, worthy of respect. Why worthy of respect? Because they're going to be giving encouragement to people and it won't mean anything if they haven't lived a life that is worthy of respect. Self-control, sound in the faith, in love and endurance. Listen, say this sentence with me. It's verse 2. Teach the older men to be. The older men are supposed to be, already be. They've done it. They've been there, bought the T-shirt, worn it out. They are supposed to be. Look at what he says to the younger men. Skip down to uh, verse 6. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled and everything set them an example by doing. See, the young men are defined by their doing and the older men are defined by being. What we find in this is from 25 to 50, you distinguish yourself by what you do in your faith. When you are 50, you are distinguished by what you now are. Church, this is what maturing looks like. There is nothing worse than a man who is 60 that thinks that he's stronger than the man who's 20, except the man who's 20 that thinks he's wiser than the man who's 60. I mean, this is craziness all about us. Now, if most of you are 25 to 50, that means that our church should be characterized by overcoming the evil one. Our church should be characterized by strong should be characterized by the word lives in you. Have you ever seen a church that is all silver hair? And it's not characterized by those things, is it? It's characterized by the fact that it's shrinking. It's characterized by the fact that evangelism's gone, that book clubs have taken over, and prayer groups are all that remain. And praise God, I'm not denigrating it, except that there was never supposed to be an all silver haired church. Churches that are all under 30 years old, they're characterized by other things I don't even want to mention. But we're supposed to have all three of these groups. And we're supposed to, look, you could just go ahead and say it. I need you and you need me. We, we need each other. We need each other at every area of the spectrum. There's no such thing as a church for young people, a church for old people, and a church for those somewhere in between. The church is for all. You become 
corrupted in your thinking if you segregate. I'd like to close with you in Leviticus 14. Since you are supposed to be a church characterized by overcoming the evil one. Say there when you were there. Now you will have to forgive me. I have preached on this text many times. I have no idea when the last time I shared this with you was if I've shared it with you. But I could preach on these two verses for three or four hours and yet I simply want to make one point to you. Number one, you need to know that the anointing we're going to read about for a leper is the exact same anointing that you get as a priest. You can read about that in Leviticus 8, but I don't want to teach it today. God anoints lepers and priests with the same anointing because he takes lepers and he makes them into priests. In the book of Mark, the very first chapter, the first people that come and get healed are lepers. Maybe you haven't lived up to the qualities of a young man or a woman. The cure is the same cure that a priest would have. The same anointing that a priest would have. In Leviticus 14, look with me at verse 14. The priest is to take some of the blood, say some of the blood, of the guilt offering and put it on the lobe of the right ear. Andrew, why don't you come up here? Just come stand right there on that rock that one of our well-meaning brothers stole from Azusa Street. They weren't using it anymore. Come on up here. You stand right here. You turn and, turn and face them. Stand right there. Yeah, yeah. If you didn't have a beard, I might not have picked you. But you got a beard. The priest is to take some of the blood of the guilt offering and put it on the right ear. Show them your right ear. Point to it. Of the one to be cleansed on the right thumb of his right hand. Show me your right thumb. And on the big toe of his right foot. We're going to skip that one, Andrew. That one too. Andrew, are you right-handed or left-handed? Right-handed. If I had to arm wrestle Andrew, I'd rather use a left hand then. Because his right hand is his strong side. The strength of Andrew would come from an anointing on his right ear. This means that he didn't hear anything except what came through the blood of the lamb. Now to get that blood, something had to die. This means that the strength of Andrew's life, opposable thumb. They say it's what separates us from the apes, but the truth is I've seen men with opposable thumbs act just like apes. I think what separates us is the Spirit of God. Everything that he does with this right hand could only come through the blood of Jesus Christ. What if every person he ever touched, he touched as if he were a representative of the blood of the Lamb? What if every hard work he ever did, it was as if he were doing it for the blood of the Lamb? What if all the workings of his hand was the blood of the Lamb? What if every time he stepped forward in the strength of his right foot, he was only going where the blood of the lamb had directed him? Well, then he would be a young man, a strong man. He might no longer be a leper. He could be considered a priest. Stay here, Andrew. I want to show them something else.
Verse 15. The priest shall then take, say then take, take. some of the log of oil into the palm of his hand and with his finger sprinkle some of it before the Lord seven times. The priest is to put some of the oil remaining in the palm of the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed on the thumb of the right hand and on the big toe of his right foot on top of, say on top of, on top of the guilt offering. What if everywhere that the blood of the lamb had touched, the strength of his hearing that only came through the knowledge of the blood now was anointed by the Holy Ghost? What if the workings of his hands were not just as the lamb directed, but they were empowered by the spirit of the lamb? What if the traveling of his feet were not just directed by the Lamb, they were empowered by the Lamb? Friends, you cannot have the anointing of the Holy Ghost unless it is on top of the blood. He's going to have to anoint you with blood, then oil. And to get the anointing of blood, something's going to have to die. You're going to have to decide you don't hear anything except what the Lamb says anymore. You're going to have to decide you don't do anything except what the Lamb says to do. You're going to have to decide you don't go anywhere except where the Lamb says for you to go. And then something supernatural happens. He begins to anoint the words that are coming through your ears so that they begin to change your soul. He begins to anoint the work of your hands so that although it's hard, it's also like eating the best food. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. He begins to anoint your travel so that your car breaks down, so that things are stolen from you, so that you're not sure if you're welcome, and yet the travel into the difficult places is the very thing that is sustaining you because his anointing is on you. You know what it means to be a young man? It means that all of your strength is submitted to him. The strength of your hearing, the strength of your working, and the strength of your going. Church, you want to be an overcoming church, one that overcomes the evil one? This is how it's done. Could you stand to your feet?